This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, getting outside. The newest park in New York City with a backstory fittingly as dramatic as a Hollywood script. Things are great. Isn't this exciting? In our first on-location interview in more than a year, Andrew Ross Sorkin sits down, six feet away, with media mogul Barry Diller, the 10-year, $260 million pet project worth every penny. They cross that bridge from New York, all that New York is, and they kind of walk up the bridge and they enter this place, and it's a little bit kind of like Oz. New York, welcome back. There's been this explosion of people who have lived in the eye of it, where you're never really centering in it. But now you're coming out of it, and you just see it on the streets. People are happy. I'm happy. And it's business as usual. When he's not building green space for 8 million New Yorkers, IAC chairman Barry Diller is eyeing the media market. Look, Netflix won this several years ago. They're the only ones who have the scale and the momentum to keep making these somewhat lunatic investments in programming. And the appetite for regulation in big tech. I've believed that when you get to sufficient size, regulation is good. It's Friday, May 21st, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew Ross Sorkin is live from the little island off the west side of Manhattan. This is a new park that's opening to the public today. Andrew, how was your commute? It was great. It was easy. Uh, We are at the little island. Uh, This is an island uh, that was created by Barry Diller uh, and a donation of $260 million uh, effectively uh, from himself and uh, DVF. Um, It is one of the great gifts to New York. It opens today literally at 6 a.m. right now. uh, As we speak, uh, this park Mm -hmm. is opening to the public for the very, very first time. Uh, It has been more than a decade in the making. Uh, You might recall that there was a massive fight over uh, this pier, which was used to be called Pier 54, uh, turned into this uh, remarkable. It's over two acres, um, has all sorts of uh, different component parts, 132 almost cement tulips uh, that have lifted up this platform. uh, And it's a jewel box right here in New York City. Uh, Barry Diller at one point walked away from the project uh, after there was a lot of consternation and battling uh, by uh, folks right here on the west side uh, for all sorts of reasons. Uh, Andrew Cuomo, uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, ended up uh, renegotiating a deal and Barry Diller came back to the table, put up the money, and here we are, his uh, dream realized, and we're going to spend some time uh, with Barry Diller, the media mogul and benefactor of uh, the Little Island. So much to talk about uh, in terms of the creation uh, of really one of the, the, the newest parks, uh, one of the, you know, once in a generation um, moments uh, in this city. And of course, we're going to talk about the media deal of the week uh, between Warner and Discovery and how it's changed the landscape and so much more. And that's what we're doing here this morning. Wow. Do, do all these it's people gorgeous. know what time it is? I cannot believe how many people there are walking around. We're, we're, it's it's 6 a.m. I mean, they're, they're just coming. So there's going to be you're going to it, during the day. There are going to be reservations literally to get on to Little Island. You're going to have to actually book online to do it uh, much like the High Line. Another one of the great gifts 
that Barry Diller and DVF have given to this city. Uh, right now, if you want to get onto the High Line, you actually also have to make a reservation. But the expectation uh, is that there are going to be thousands uh, here swarming. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure as the morning uh, progresses, you're going to see a lot more people. But you're right. It's already beginning uh, just around us. There's two views, and I hope we all get to come down here, and maybe we should do the show here every day if we can get weather like this. But there's a 700-person uh, outdoor amphitheater that looks right onto the uh, Hudson River that will just knock your socks off. Uh, to sit in that audience is, is something else. So um, it's, it's, I have to say, uh, there's not a lot of things I will gush about. This is something I will gush about for a very, very long time. It's quite an extraordinary place, I must say. That's cool that you went you there. I'd driven like by it um, as they were putting it together. And it, it, it's just unbelievable to think of this new expansion um, yeah. out into the river, but of green space in particular, which is at such a premium in New York City. The idea of getting outside, enjoying your environment, especially after the last 14 months that everybody's been living yes. uh, with the lockdown, with pandemic and the need to get outside. It couldn't have been timed more perfectly. And as you mentioned, these gifts from Barry Deller and Dion von Furstenberg, I mean, this is something that is, is so essential and, and so needed and so necessary. So, you know, amazing to see it. I'm glad you're there this morning, Andrew. And if you see behind the, the Whitney behind you, but also and, and this may this may explain and this is this is may explain why Barry Diller was so interested in this particular pier. IAC is just uh, across the way as well. That cool building uh, the headquarters, uh, of course, along along the Hudson River uh, as well. So it's um, pretty special. How big a, a job? I mean, that was a big deal where you are, isn't it? I mean, that seems like a, a modern marvel Th this of, is taken, of engineering. This has taken about six years, six years of actual construction. Um, it's, I mean, uh, uh, Thomas Hederwick is the uh, architect. Uh, also, by the way, did the vessel, uh, which, as you may know, is uh, at Hudson Yards, uh, the famous vessel, and so many other things in the U.K. and elsewhere. It's like a beehive. Um, but 230. 200, 200, about $60 million uh, to build this. The upkeep is also remarkable, and the, and the Dillers uh, have effectively uh, underwritten that for the next 20 years as well. So, yeah, this is, um, we'll try to get you some of the, the stats on just what it took to put this together. But uh, there are literally hundreds of trees, plants. I mean, it's, 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 it's one of the great gifts uh, to this city. When Squawk Pod comes back, exploring New York City's newest public park with Barry Diller. You just look out and see people here. It's another dimension that makes people happy. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Today, we're outside. So, so things okay? Things are great. What about you? Isn't this exciting? At the opening of the little island with media mogul Barry Diller. The road to this moment was long. This innovative public park floating next to downtown Manhattan was a decade in the making, stalled four years ago when local activists raised environmental concerns, was almost abandoned, and opens today, just as we begin to see an end to the debilitating public health crisis that sent Americans inside. Diller's other long journey is as Hollywood power player. He was chairman of Paramount Studios at age 32, integral to the start of the Fox network, and as head of IAC, oversees a new generation of media, 
digitally driven like Match.com and Expedia. Guys, what are we doing this in here? And Diller has thoughts on media today, everything from the AT&T Discovery deal to his fellow moguls to Apple's market power. And you'll hear all of it. Barry Diller sat down on a beautiful New York morning. See? I'm getting very shy, though. With our Andrew Ross Sorkin. Uh, you seems too large you word, have a crowd here uh, with folks uh, screaming out saying, thank you, Barry. I know. Uh, it's embarrassing. And you can hear it right now. It, it's, it embarrasses it's, me, but. I, it's quite something. Um, but it's nice to hear. This is a decade in the making. Yeah, uh, took 10 years. There actually, were, the other day, I actually wanted to find out the date. So I did get, it's, it's, it's literally to the month, 10 years since we had our first discussion about this. Hundreds of millions of dollars. This is you and DBF. Yeah together. Um, when, when you came up to me, uh, I almost asked you how you felt, and I wanted to wait uh, because I could see it in your face. This is the first, this is day one, yeah, opened yeah. at 6 a.m. this actual, morning. Actual humans on the place. I mean, it's... You you people, at one point, you, you pulled back. There was a fight over whether this could even happen. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, we went through. It was not actually a pony ride. I mean, we went through three years almost, maybe even four years of litigation and got to the point where my family said to me, would you please stop this nonsense? I mean, go where you're wanted. Go, we'll go someplace else. We'll do whatever. And uh, we got to one point where they were going for an injunction. And it was the day we had to order $80 million of, I think, cement or whatever. And I imagined this big pile of cement sitting someplace, embargoed from whatever. And I said, okay, enough. And so we stopped. And that was it for about six, eight weeks until Governor Cuomo really did reach out and save it. So we're sitting now on, it's about 132 almost tulip-like petals that are supporting this, this yeah. structure here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's it feel like to see all of, all of these people around us well, here? I mean, it's, it's hard for me, right? I mean, it's not hard. It's the easiest thing in the world to say the you know, truth. But it's, I, I mean, to see people say, why did you do this? And it's my family, my wife certainly, we love public art in public places, and we're lucky enough because we have the resource, some resources. But the real reason to do it is this, it's to see people being really happy in the city. They come, they cross that bridge from New York, all that New York is, and they kind of walk up the bridge and they enter this place, and it's, it's a bit, little bit kind of like Oz. I mean, it's another, it's, a, it, it's another dimension a bit. I mean, I don't want to go too far with it but it makes people happy, so. Well, it's a very special thing, and it really does capture, I think, the reimagining and reawakening of New York. And I know that we spent some time together on Squawk right in the aftermath of the beginning of the pandemic. Well, I see the landscape as uh, uh, cataclysmic. I mean, I think the landscape is, uh, we're in something that it's very hard to be objective about because we're in eye of it, we're inside of it, so we can't really see it for what it is. Everybody is in the same position, which is world stop. To describe you as down, as somebody who's not usually down, uh, you were usually an optimist about all things. Let's sort of take us through where, where your head was then to now, because well, I, I can think see the like, excitement. For me, for me, it's actually, I mean, I see it in people, I'm sure you do in New York now, for a year. First of all, we were completely deserted. You remember when you know, it looked like a nuclear blast had taken out all of the humans. There was nothing on the streets. 
So we've gone from that and all of that to in the last, I think it's in the last days, I think it's actually once the dumb CDC finally said, take those masks off, uh, that there's been this explosion of people who have lived in the eye of it where you're never really centering in it. Right. But now you're coming out of it and you just see it on the streets. People are happy. I'm happy. Your friend Joe, who's back in the studio, wants to wants to say hello, and I think he's got a question for you. Joe. Hey, hey Joe. Hey, Barry. It's not just it's not really a question. I just want wondered whether you needed a moment somewhere on that island just to collect yourself. I mean, I I'm feeling emotional for you, and I'm wondering. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you. Uh, you know, right, Barbara Joe. Walters always tried to get people to cry. I'm not going to get you to cry, and and I know that it cost double what you thought it was going to cost. That's not what I'm talking about crying for, but. This is, so, what if, I would be I overcome would with emotion. If, if I were you, after the last 14 months and opening this <laughs> today and seeing those people, I'd have to go off to the side and I really think I, I might start bawling like a little kid, but I don't want you to do that, but it's yeah, amazing. Thank you Barry. so much. No, yeah. actually, I will tell you the truth. Before I came here, I snuck around and I went up to the, one of the highest parts right. and I hid in a little corner and it, yeah, it, how could it not get you? I, I mean, that's what it, I mean. I knew it. You just look out it. and see people here. Yeah, so you got it. It happened. It won't happen <laughs> now, I hope. Good. No, Unless not you keep now. It's happening to me. But like that's amazing. Baby. It's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank no, you. It is, it's a very, very special thing. And as I said, it's a once in a generation moment. And this is something that's going to be here forever. Well, that's, I mean, that's the you know, thing. The reason people said to me, why, you know, what is it? I thought to my, I'm not thought. I've thought for a long time. Anytime I come to something, any place in the world that's been there for a long time, a park, right. a statue, a something, I go, geez, how did that actually happen 80, 100, whatever years ago? And usually it is somebody's initiative, you know? Right. <clears throat> some oddball or some whatever bull said, I, you know, there's an idea here. So, the idea that maybe 100 years from now, people will come on it and say, hmm, that's something. I mean, if I could push myself, there's where I'd go. I can see, I can see. Yeah, don't go there. He, 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 may, he may cry, ladies and gentlemen. No, he's not. Um, he's strong. Let me ask you this, though. Deceivingly. There was objections to this, oh, yeah. to this island. Yeah. Um, and even if you read some of the critiques today, there are critiques about this being built by a billionaire. And we are in a, a unique moment in our politics and in our history yep. where having the success that you've had uh, and being able to do this, um, as fabulous as I think so many people here may think it is, there are others who don't. How do you think about that? Well, you know, everybody's entitled to an opinion and I respect, you know, people having the ability to say anything for sure. But as to that issue, I think that public-private partnerships, the ability, and we did this with the Hudson River uh, Park, we did this with the city, we have uh, definitely Bloomberg uh, and de Blasio to thank, who we worked with, we worked with community boards, et cetera. But I don't think you get much done unless you have both public and private. And you know, it's true. We're, you know, I'm lucky enough, my family's lucky enough that we got resources and people can say, look, yeah, it's gonna happen. Nothing, I, one of the things is that when we had all the lawsuits, which were 
completely unfounded. They were revenge lawsuits. But when we had these lawsuits, you know, people would say, no good deed goes unpunished. Well, the truth is, that's, that's terrible. To, to, you know, if, you, if that's actually the truth, but it isn't the truth. Look, it's here. People are happy. Um, you're going to continue funding the maintenance of this because this is not a cheap operation to keep rolling. No. Um, what happens after 10 years? No, we're doing it for 20 years. You're doing we, it for 20 yeah, years. We extended it another 10 years. We were discussing in the last hour how much, how, mu how much money you're going to have to spend just to maintain this. Probably for the maintenance over 20 years, about 160 million, 100 and something like that, including you know, we're also subsidizing all, we're putting on 525 performances starting in June right. in the three places where you can perform here. Uh, and we're doing that, uh, and that will transition over time to be somewhat institutionalized, but the actual maintenance we're gonna do. Right, it's a remarkable thing. Um, I do wanna talk to you about the world of media because uh, the entire media world was shaken, I think, yeah, uh, yeah, earlier yeah. this week with this big transaction. Uh, with the spinoff of Warner Media from AT&T and, of course, the merger with Discovery. What did you think when you heard it? The Great Escape. The Great Escape for whom? Well, the Great Escape for Time Warner. I mean, for AT&T. A remarkable thing. You know, it's the thing, you think about it, it's the power of monopoly. I mean, Ma Bell should have been dead and buried by now. I mean, they go into cable only a few years later to say, oh my God, we made a mistake, and they sell it. They go into buying direct, they, they go into buying Time Warner with, you know, an idea, but certainly not fully fledged. And then they go about basically, I think, hurting Time Warner assets. They do, drive Jeff Zucker out of the building, basically, though he gave them a time lapse, which thankfully he's not gonna have to exercise. But they literally drove him out by taking away, you know, it's like, you have a company, you're in charge of CNN. Right. They call them up and they say, by the way, HR no longer reports you, sales no longer, nothing reports you except the programming. You get to tell the people on the air what to do. I mean, which is such an incredible insult to do to, uh, to a company, to a person running a company. Then they drive out all the talented people, not all of them, there are a few left, I guess, of Time Warner. And then they say, okay, never mind and then they sell it, although they didn't sell it. Actually, people say Discovery bought it. No, AT&T basically bought Discovery, AT&T shareholders. Right. But Discovery management, the scrappy Mr. Mr. Zaslov, gets to operate it, and basically Malone and the new houses get to control it. And I think it's now, it's certainly in better hands. How could it have ever been in worse hands? But it's right. in better hands now. And Zaslav is the kind of creative executive, and he's scrappy. He built Discovery from relatively nothing to something. Right. Uh, he's exactly the right person to, you know, to, to try and develop it. You once said that nobody would really be able to ever compete against uh, Netflix, yeah. given, given its success. Yeah, Can, well, that's true. Still true? Yeah. So WarnerMedia, Discovery, do, this doesn't change that? I don't think it changes the, the look. Netflix won this several years ago. They're the only ones who have the scale and the momentum to keep making these somewhat lunatic investments in programming. And it's not that Disney, uh, look, Iger now being pushed to the sidelines by his successor, not very nicely, by the way, but who certainly doesn't deserve it. But you, 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 think, you think Bob Chapek is pushed Iger away? Oh, yeah. But the thing is that 
Yeah, I do, by the way. But Disney is certainly going to do okay. Whether, by the way, when you balance it all out five, ten years from today, and you say what they gave up and what they received from the middleman to what they get in direct is ever going to actually pay off, it may just be survival for them. They're okay. It's not that they're terrible. It's no, you cannot compete with the momentum and the scale. Right. Uh, no one will ever be able to do that. Well, I want to go back about Bob Iger's chosen successor was Bob Chapek. Yeah, but that's what happens at companies. I mean, what do you that's the age old thing. The successor usually, you know, it's Oedipal, I guess, in a way. I mean, it, it usually kills the father, kills the boss. But I don't mean he's killed him. I, and I, listen, I'm not by any, but I do know that he's now kind of forgotten. It is, it is Bob and his guts and courage that actually said, I've got to go direct to the consumer, no matter what it costs. And by right. the way, it's hugely expensive. You just total right. up. But you don't think that Bob Iger has the influence that he used to have at Disney anymore? I don't think so. I don't know, but I doubt it. And you think that's to the benefit or detriment of the company? Detriment. Without, I mean, right. if, you, if there's anything you could do to induce Bob to continue to want to run that place, whatever. Right. Um, but by the way, and also, you're sitting on a kind of melting ice cube. He said he's leaving in December. Right. So what do you think they would do? Tell me about the other chess pieces but now. I mean, on... It's none of my business, but sorry. <laughs> Tell me about the other chess pieces on the board. Earlier this week, we heard that Amazon uh, may try to buy MGM. Interestingly, you have a stake in MGM Resorts. I don't know if you saw the stock of MGM Resorts went up because people mistake. Oh yes, come. Think, think somebody made a mistake. Think Amazon's going to buy MGM. <laughs> Can that change the dynamic? Where, where, no. How do you see all this playing out? None then? of it is. It's all catch up. You know, it's all everybody saying. Well, look, Amazon. Amazon is in a different world than anyone else. It, they are not in the media business, they're in the prime business. And if they give media, meaning if they give their consumers who like prime, really good video, that's justifiable. Right. But that's, some, for someone who's been in the entertainment business, you know, where your job is to, as they say, put asses in seats, you know, in the old yep. vernacular of theaters, Amazon doesn't care. You know, they care if you subscribe to prime, Right. You know, a side result is you may get to see uh, John Krasinski. Okay, uh, so if you are, let me flip it around. You are either Sherry Redstone, Viacom CBS, yeah, or you are Brian Roberts, owner of parent company of this network. Brian's got a different thing. Brian's got the thing is, do you have a route to the sea? Brian Roberts and Comcast have a route to all markets. They're, they're, they're by the way, they are the perfect hedge of all of them because they're the only ones who really are now in both feet, in both sides of it. So it's a great edge. And they've, I think, gone about the streaming thing smarter than anybody, because what they've done is said, no, 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 we are not going to unplug right. all the profitable routes we've had. We are gonna have a streaming service, but it's gonna be ad supported, which we know something about. And our investment is going to be eh, relatively moderate. So if you're, moderate. If you're I mean, Jeff, they have the, they, they, if you're Jeff Shell, should you be thinking hand. you need to you need to buy something else? No. No. I mean, I, what do I know? A lot. No. I mean, I I just think if you, it seems like they're in a perfect position because they do have a route 
to all markets, that's not been endangered. They have been, I think, sane about their program investments. So I think they're, I think, yeah, I think they, whatever. I want to pivot to the other news of the day. Uh, Tim Cook is going to be testifying today in this case uh, with Epic. Um, you obviously have a lot of apps uh, on the App Store. Oh, we do. Is Over, Apple, overcharged is disgustingly. Apple, say that again? Overcharged in a disgusting manner. I mean, you know, if you go through, let's call it the equivalent of an App Store credit card, uh, the transmission cost is about 2%. That's what credit card companies cost for putting up that whole right. system and doing all that stuff. That's what they charge to the person, so you know, to, the, you... to, the, to the producer, let's right. say. Here, app, Apple says, oh no, 30%, 30%. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, the idea that they actually justify it by saying, oh, well, we spent all this money protecting our little app store. I mean, it's criminal. Well, it's not criminal. Let me ask you this, though. It will be criminal. I want to get there, potentially, but what do you make of the argument that they built it? If, if you had built the, 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 the iPhone and the App Store okay. and developed I all build, this and said, look. I build a highway and I charge you $100 to pass it. I built it. Why can't I? Look, the only way you can get from here to there is over my bridge. You can't get there any other way. And by the way, that really is the truth. They have a quasi-monopoly, which they share to some degree with Google. So, but is so, the issue for you price? Meaning, meaning if it was 15%, if it was 10%, if it was at 15%, we'd be having a debate about whether it should be 10%. If we were at 10%, we'd have a debate of whether it should be 5%, no? No, no. I think, first of all, if you had it anywhere, it, it's irrational 30%. I mean, it makes no sense to pay. Look, I make something, I offer it to you. Right. These people basically, in the middle, provide a service but that service has an analogy. The analogy really is credit cards. Or you could even say, you can't. That's the analogy. You don't think it's a store? Of course it's not a store. If, if you said to me that like a, you know, by the way, supermarkets, let's do that. What do you think their margins are? Infinitesimal, unfortunately. Well, somehow they make out okay. They're not, they're, you know, they, they have a profit. The idea, though, that you would actually be able to get tribute of their match, littlematch.com, right. pays $500 million a year to Apple to go through their store. Does that seem rational to you? So has the Department of Justice called you yet? Uh, yeah, sure they have. And have you... I mean, me personally, hello, oh. Justice Department, no. But you've made this case to them? Sure, we've made the case do you, to everybody. Do you think we, they'll bring a case? We've made the case to everybody. I would hope, look, I've believed that when you get to sufficient size, regulation is good. I grew up in the television business, which was regulated completely by the FCC and really tight regulations. Everybody, by the way, prospered to say the least. But you really knew that in, you had to program in the broad public interest or they'd take your license away. Right. I think regulation proper regulation makes sense. I don't want to bust them up. You know, I don't think that's a, such a smart idea, but what I would certainly do, when you have size and power, you've got to have regulation. So, but then what do you do? So, okay, if, if you were, you'd regulate Apple, I know you'd regulate Google. Yeah. Would you regulate Amazon? Uh, I don't know, because I can't, as, as I, look, I'm, 
please. You're talking to a dope here. If you think about, again, markets, I'm not, I don't know about, I, I believe Amazon is a very small part, actually, of consumer spending and the things that you buy through Amazon. So I, I, I don't know enough to make that case. But by the way, regulation, anybody who reaches size has got, because the natural impulse, there is no monopolist who's a kind monopolist. It does not exist. Um, we could talk forever and we're going to run out of time, but I have to ask you about travel because that's your other business. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know there was a moment where I think we were worried that travel was never going to come back. Now it it's feels nice. like it may go on. For, it, 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 you, can't get, you can't get a reservation. What's it going to look like? And, and is, this a, is this a one-year period? Is this a five-year period? What do you think is about to happen here? What's happening here kind of around us in a way, which is there is an explosion coming out of pandemic. There is a, an explosion of people saying, oh my God, I can travel, I can do this, I can do that, I can come out on the park, I can take my mask off and burn right. it, I can do whatever. It's gonna last for a while, for sure. I mean, travel is definitely, I mean, you just see, first is consumer travel, but in a couple of years, all those people who said business travel is dead, they're all dopes. Business travel is going to come back, of course it is, because people need to be with other people in distant locations. And broadly speaking, given all the conversations we've been having recently about interest rates and no, no, but there's, yes, yes, I think sorry. there's a real issue, right, about interest rates and, and whether the economy is going to have inflation. We're going to have inflation and you're seeing it. How could you not? And so what and what do you. But then the question is what, what, what the Federal Reserve is going to do. Do they tamp know. it down? And do you think know. that there is a bubble that is about to effectively get punctured here? Yes. Yes. The question, <laughs> of course, is when, though? And, 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 I don't know. And what does that look like? I haven't a clue. You're talking to, again, I mean, look, I, uh, right. this is what I do right now. This is what you do right now, but, but you do invest. So what, as an investor, what are you thinking about now? Well, I mean, at, listen, in our travel company at Expedia, we're thinking about how do we fulfill this demand in the best way? That's right. what we're thinking about. At IAC, we're thinking about, is there anything that we can buy at a rational price? Because right. we really, we have tons of capital and all of that. And prices are somewhat crazy right now. That forces us, which I'm kind of happy about, is to say, okay, let's invent stuff. Let's start very small, since you know everything else is priced out. Right. Uh, although you know, we'll, we, uh, we're right now thinking of buying something for several billion dollars that I think we can rationally buy. So just we're just doing what the next fool on the corner is doing. Um. We almost can't get away with not without asking you somehow about cryptocurrency since it's something. You can't something, ask me about cryptocurrency. I can't. Ask, well, I'm going. Well, you to. could ask me about it, but. Well, what do you think of it? I don't. I think it's a con. You think it's a con? Yeah, absolutely. All I watch it. some of the people you have on and yeah. they talk about it. Forty thousand, twelve thousand, whatever, and I think this is not so talk. When this is over, because we got to wrap in a second. What are you going to do next? Can you can you walk around here? Do you think? I would lo I, look. I love being. I mean, listen. Can you imagine what it's like after I know. all this time to actually see people, humans, enjoying themselves here? But I want them to enjoy themselves. I don't want them to think they have some obligation to say thank you. Because by the way, their faces are thank you. Well, let me thank you on behalf uh, of thank all you, New man. Yorkers uh, and everybody who has an opportunity uh, to get here. Uh, not just this year, but perhaps over uh, the next century, as we talked about. How do these things happen? They happen because of people like you, and we appreciate you being here this morning. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Ricky. Thank you.
That's Squawk Pod for today and for the week. Thanks for listening. It's Friday. The world is opening up. Take a break this weekend. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. This podcast is produced by me, Katie Kramer, Cameron Costa, and Caroline O'Brien. Special thanks to Andrew and producer Jackie Corba for heading out to the Little Island in New York early this morning. We'll meet you right back here on Monday.